Hey guys, happy evening. How deceptive is that view right now? It looks chilly. Uh, this is not what I've experienced all day. Uh, Jesus, we are so thankful for the weather that we get to experience in Grants Pass. We're so thankful for just this beautiful spot that you've created. Um, we're so lucky that we get to be not just in Grants Pass, but we get to be here and get to be your people and we get to meet freely and without fear and to talk about who you are and to gather as believers and encourage one another. And I pray tonight as we study your word that we would be encouraged, that we would be reminded that the Bible doesn't just talk about things that has happened, but about things that always happen, and that you're the God who's the same yesterday, today, and forever, and the God who is present in the lives of the individuals in the Bible is present in our lives even this day. So Jesus, we pray that you'd be present in this room, that you'd speak to us individually. It's in your name we pray, amen. Amen. We are continuing through Genesis. We're in Genesis chapter 13 today, and we're going to be continuing through the life of Abram. Abram is a dude that we met last week. He was raised pagan. He, his, all of the lineage ahead of him are all pagan names. His wife, her name is pagan. So that you're introduced to this character that you presuppose knows nothing about God. He knows nothing about God, what walking with God is like, what living with God is like, what God's character is like, who he is. And God just chooses this man purely out of grace. God just says, this is gonna be my guy. And I'm gonna make a big promise through him that through him, all the families of the world will be blessed. And the big question mark is, well, how is that possible? And for New Testament believers, we know, well, that's Jesus. That through him would be the line that Jesus would come. Jesus would be born, die, and raise again. And through his work on the cross, all people would be reconciled to God and brought back into God's fold. And so we go, oh, well, that's how. But for Abram and for the Old Testament believers, don't know, but there's some promise coming. And it's, it's something big and it's something exciting. It's gonna crush the enemy's head. Maybe it's a big warrior, general, king. We don't know, but some Messiah is coming. You and I know it's Jesus. And we're following this guy, Abram, and this big promise gets made to him. Big promise. And you just think, wow, what a guy. Like, this guy's got all the potential in the world. God's making promises to him. Shows up three times. And he's, it seems like he's making strides forward what God has for him. And then he does something so dumb. He takes his wife and gives her away for his own protection and safety and security into Pharaoh's harem. And you just go, that was rough. I didn't expect that. Which how awesome is that for you and me? Because for you and me, we were all people who were living estranged from God. We had no idea what God was like, his character, who he was, what his plans for our lives and all that he has to offer us. And through grace, he comes and he pursues us and finds us and calls us to be his people. And then after we're his people, we consistently do amazingly foolish things that angels watch and go, oh my gosh. The Bible says angels learn about his grace by watching us. <laughs> that they watch us and they go, sheesh. Just like we're reading Abraham and we go, Man, that guy, that's not good for him. 
Every single day we fail, we fall short, we mess up, but our God's grace just keeps covering us and he keeps loving us. And that's what we see through Abraham's life. And so tonight, as we're looking at him, there's a little bit of, you're on the tail end of, there's probably some big issues going on in their marriage. Minimally, I think you can say that. And I mean, he's 70 years old by the time God comes to him and makes the promise. Some time has passed. So they've probably been married for quite a while. And now there's been a big breach in trust. And so, you know, ministry has its um, seasons that you go through. And the season that I'm currently in is I've been doing more marriage counseling recently than I have in a long time. And so my head just kind of focused on those things. And you just think about this poor woman. You know, I've been married 5, 10, 15, 20 years. Imagine you've been with your spouse for that long and then all of a sudden they do something that totally breaks trust. Something totally unexpected, something totally just hits you out of left field, hurts you really badly and you have to go, well, how do we move forward? What do we, how do we figure out what to do now? And maybe you're not married, maybe it's not marriage issues and you just have found yourself in a season where there's been strife or difficulty or an unexpected issue has arisen and you go, well, how do I move forward? What, how do I, what do I do now? And this chapter talks a lot about that. Chapter 13, last week, all of the husbands left encouraged because they're like, at least I'm not as bad as Abraham, right? Everyone went, that's solid. I feel really good about that. But maybe today you're in a spot where trust has been damaged. Ex- expectations for the future of your relationship are low, just like Sarah. Sarah's feeling probably like he doesn't value me. He doesn't love me. He doesn't treasure me. And so coming out of that narrative, that story of coming from Egypt is where we pick up in Genesis chapter 13. So if you have your Bible, you can go to verse one. <clears throat> so Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife. Before this, it was, you just supposed his wife was with him. We have to clarify. She came with. He didn't get her out of Pharaoh's harem and she was like, peace. Though she had every right, right? No, she came with him out of Egypt. So we have to clarify. He and his wife and all that he had and Lot with him into the Negev. So the Negev, if you remember, it's verse nine of the last chapter. This is where Moses was headed before. So he, he, he was headed here. He got sidetracked and had to go down to Egypt because of a famine. And now he's headed here again. And we just got done with vacation Bible school. We had all these kids here and it was, it was jungle themed. And so we had to find any way to make jungle animals get to conveying the gospel of Jesus. So we worked really hard on that. And so it's on my mind, it's pretty fresh. So elephants, their trunks, did you know that they can lift 770 pounds, just their trunks? That is so much, that's so strong. And here's what's crazy. People want to use elephants in like a circus type scenario, in a very controlled environment, and you cannot have this massive animal that you don't have complete control over or someone's gonna get hurt really, really, really bad, especially if he gets angry. And so what they have to do is they have to break the elephant, just like you have to break a horse if you're gonna have a really well-trained horse. And so the way that you break an elephant is you tie a baby elephant up to a tree and the baby elephant will thrash and it will rage and it will try to do anything it can to break free from that tree. And then it will give up because it realizes 
The tree is more powerful than I am. When I'm tied up to the tree, I can't move. Then when that same elephant is an adult, you can tie it to a stick and it will give up. It will hold still because it figures, oh, that thing's got me beat. That's bigger than me. That thing crushes me. That thing's too much for me to handle. In that same exact way, sometimes we face obstacles and we face failures and we face issues early on and we forget, no, I've grown. Just like the elephant has grown and the circumstances have changed and things are different and God is with me and I've grown as a person. Sometimes when failures hit us, they anchor us and they keep us stuck and we're unable to move forward and we're unable to grow. But Abraham doesn't do that. Abraham doesn't let failure win. He turns around and heads right back to where he was headed before he had to go down to Egypt. He starts heading right back in the direction that he was supposed to be in. Now, Abraham totally has consequences for what he did in Egypt, for sure. He's sleeping on the couch, 100%, no question about that. The fact that there's still the promise of a child coming is a miracle in and of itself, right? Some of you get what I mean. But God, <laughs> what this is showing us about our God is God is able to take the evil of that people do, the wickedness, the failures of people that we have, the failures that we all have, and do something incredible out of it. He can take our failures, can take our loss, can take the things that crushes us and say, I can make something incredible even out of that. And so as you're looking through this story, you just have to ask yourself, well, how do I handle my own failure and my own brokenness and my own mistakes and my own disappointments? How do I face those things? How do I handle them? Because with Genesis, is trying to show you and me about God's character. What Genesis is teaching Abraham about God's character is God doesn't just give you a first chance. Oh man, you blew it, you're out. But God gives you a second chance and a third chance and a fourth chance and a fifth chance. And Lamentation says that every single morning, God's mercies for you are new. Every single morning, it's a fresh day. Hey, yesterday was, is what it is. We're moving forward. What, what are we doing together today? That God doesn't give up on you, God doesn't leave you or forsake you, that God, his mercies are new for you each and every day, they're new for Abram. So those mistakes and problems, they don't anchor him. Instead, he starts heading back towards the Negev. God can make something beautiful even out of his marriage. Imagine the marriage that you and I have, the issues we face. If God can fix Abram's marriage, can he fix your marriage? Oh, absolutely. Through failure, through difficulty, God can make something beautiful out of your circumstances, your scenario, your issue, your failure, regardless of how it looks. And so verse two, now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold. And he journeyed on from the Negev, that's the Southern part of Israel, as far as Bethel, which is up towards the middle, to the place where the tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abraham called upon the name of the Lord. So when you and I find ourselves in situations where failure has just hit us, where things have been difficult, you've had a hard season, you've had a hard argument, you've had just this moment of disappointment. I think you and I are supposed to do exactly what Abraham does right here. You wandered away from the Lord, you messed up. You go right back to where it started. 
So right back to where your relationship with God started, that zeal that you had, oh my gosh, you were involved in church, you were asking questions, you were pursuing him, you wanted to know everything that you could possibly know about this God, you go right back to where you first were. He goes right back to where he first built the altar. He goes to that spot and he calls upon the name of the Lord there. Abraham goes where he started and starts practicing the things that he did early on in his relationship with the Lord. You and I are supposed to do that exact same thing. When failure hits us, we often will have a tendency to run from God. We go, okay, I, I, can't, I can't go to church. I, I've messed up. I failed. I fell off the wagon. I did the thing that everyone was expecting me to do. And we will run from God and we'll run from the community of believers. And we're supposed to be the opposite. It's at that point we're supposed to come and we're supposed to encourage one another and lift each other up and say, oh my gosh, I'm so happy you're here, brother. You're so welcome here. Jesus isn't Jesus is here to fix broken, sick people. That's what he does. Perfect people don't need a savior. And Jesus is here to be your savior. And so verse five, and Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. Lot, if you don't know who he is, he's a lot. He's a lot of drama. He's a lot of issues. He's a lot of problems. And we're gonna continue to see that unfold starting in this chapter and in the next few. Verse six, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. So there's some trouble in the promised land. There's trouble in paradise, not just with his marriage, but also with his relationships at home. He and his nephew are having issues. They're both have accumulated quite a bit of possessions and they're trying to figure out how do we and our people and all of our stuff live together because there's Canaanites and Perizzites dwelling in the land. What that means is they're city bound people. They've built cities, they've got tents, they have establishments and Abraham and his people aren't. They're nomadic, they keep moving around. So what that means is they're probably up on a mountainside where, where resources are lessened, where they have the less ability to spread out like they want to and they should for all of their animals. And so what happens, what we see between Lot's people and Abraham's people is it's a bickering about money and their prosperity. Lot has all of a sudden started doing really, really good and the promises that God has for him is it's probably starting to look really, really silly. So they're out on this mountain. Things are going really, really well. And Abraham is looking forward to this promise. Hey, you're gonna go, you're gonna hang out here and a baby's gonna come. And he's, Lot's like, dude, you're 70, you're 80, you're 90. This is looking kind of funky and business is business. And there's this quarreling that's starting to happen between their family. That there's this ambition driving Lot that's causing himself and his people to be irritable. And is it wrong in and of itself to want money? No way, money is a super good tool, but it's a really terrible master. <clears throat> and right now, Lot is in a position, Abraham is tempted to be in a position where family's gonna have to take a second spot because we're gonna figure out how to get money first. We're gonna figure out how to maximize our cash inflow. We're gonna have to figure out how to maximize the amount of animals that we can have together. And so they're fighting, just bickering nonstop. And there's two real reasons why they're fighting. It's they have a proximity to each other. 
that's too close, that's causing issues, and they have possessions that are becoming a problem for them. And so here's the thing with proximity, which I think anyone who has a child understands. If you have a bunch of kids in your home, the more time they spend together, the more bickering ensues, right? Like you have the, the classic, I don't want him to sleep in my room, or hey, they're touching my seat in the back of the car. Or like what happened with us the other night is you have chaotic bedtime. I've got four kids. Mistakes were made. I'm just kidding. You have four kids. None of them are mistakes. I love them all. Four, you have four children and your oldest is, is a girl and sweet, sweet girl. And she goes to her room and starts to get all ready for bed. And then your next youngest is a boy, destructive child. And he follows because they sleep in the same room and things are okay. And then they're screaming. There's so much screaming. And my daughter comes around, she goes, dad. And I go, what? She's just enraged and indignant and face is red. I go, what, what's going on? And she goes, Elon dried his bottom on my pillow. And now, I have to figure out how to get him in trouble without laughing. It's like, you know, so I go, Elon, come here. And he goes, hey, what's up? What's wrong? What's up? And I go, did you, did you dry your bottom on her pillow? He goes, yeah. And I go, you, you can't do that. Why? Because it's not your pillow. Okay. Can you tell sissy sorry? Sorry, sis. Like you punk. And his sister's just, mm, you know, like that didn't really fix anything. They're too close to each other. It's the, it's the classic, you're breathing all of my air. The more time they spend around each other, Abraham and Lot, the more quickly it's easy for them to get into arguments and for their herdsmen to get into arguments with each other and for this constant bickering to ensue. You know, the number one reason that missionaries leave the mission field isn't because of harsh conditions or no access to clean water or food or because things are dangerous. The number one reason that missionaries will leave the mission field is other missionaries. That they're in too close proximity and the bickering just starts. Regardless if they're a part of the same family, regardless if they got the same mission, regardless if they're in the same occupation, the bickering ensues because they're just too close to each other. And you almost have to wonder if part of the issue also is Lot looks at Abraham who just went through Egypt and he saw Abraham give up his auntie for security, for safety, for some possessions. And you go, well, man, maybe, maybe he doesn't respect Abraham like he used to. You know, at first it's, that's my uncle, dude. He's the man. God made these big promises for him. And then you just see him fail and you go, oh, that wasn't the guy I thought he was. Have you ever noticed that when there's someone that you really admire and they're just like a role model for you and you get to meet that person and it just makes you go, ew, right? So I worked at a church down in San Diego called Horizon. And one of the things that they would do is all summer long, they would have these bands come in. I was a big music guy. And I, there was one band in particular, so excited to meet them. And they were the one band that made me go, Ew, what a bummer. And then now forever, their music is not interesting to me. Like I, I loved them. I was like, these guys, are, I'm so excited they're gonna be here. And I met them and it was crushing. 
It's because every single idol that you and I put up, they've all got clay feet and eventually they break and they fall down. The people that you and I admire and we idolize and we go, these people are just amazing. When you get close to them, you realize, oh, they're just human and humans fail and humans mess up and humans are broken. Doesn't mean they're necessarily evil. God can still be working through them and doing amazing things with them, just like he's doing with Abraham. But proximity can give you a perception of someone that makes you go, oh, bummer, gross. So their proximity is an issue, but also their possessions begin to become an issue. See, they head to Egypt in the last chapter because they're poor. There's no resources. There's no food. They can't take care of everything that they need to take care of. So they head to Egypt because of the severe famine that's in the land. The problem seems to be that they're poor. But now you have the complete opposite problem. The problem comes from the fact that they're rich. In fact, that word rich in the Hebrew is literally heavy, that there's so much cash in the pockets of the camels that it's weighing them down. Like that's the idea. He's a heavy man. And I often will think about financial, financial situations in like two categories, right? Like there's poor and there's rich. Like that's the only way that really my, I tend to think of things. But God doesn't use those categories. For God, there's not just two categories of there's poor people and there's rich people. For God, there's four categories. That there's a godly way to be rich and an ungodly way to be rich. That there's a godly way to be poor and there's an ungodly way to be poor. And so in the last chapter, what we saw was the ungodly way to be poor. That, hey, I'll give up my family. It doesn't matter what you take from me. I will cut any corner just to make things work just to get ahead, just to come up for a breath, just for things to be calm for a second. I will give up anything. I will sell anyone out. That there's a ungodly way to be poor. There's a godly way to be poor. And there's a ungodly way to be rich. Here's the ungodly way to be rich. Homer Simpson goes to work. I love Homer. Homer goes to work. And while he's at work, he gets thirsty. So he goes to the vending machine. And in the vending machines, there's a, a glass screen. He can see everything inside. He sees a soda that he wants. So he puts money in. It takes his money. He puts in the code. And the, the cylinder moves to drop the soda, but it doesn't drop all the way. And so Homer goes full Homer and hits it, yells at it like that's going to do anything. And finally shoves his hand inside the vending machine to grab hold of the soda. And he got it. And it gives a classic, woohoo, right? but now he can't get it out. And so he's struggling. He can't get it out, so he calls for help. Now there's two maintenance guys who show up, one who's getting real involved with Homer and one who's just watching. And the one who's getting real involved with Homer goes, after not spending much time at all there, goes, you know, Homer, I really think we tried everything up to this point and we're just gonna have to cut your arm off. And Homer goes, well, it'll grow back, right? The guy goes, yeah, man, it'll grow back. And he pulls out a skill saw and turns it on. He's getting close to Homer's arm and Homer's just like bracing, bracing for the pain that's about to happen. And the other guy who's standing back goes, hey, Homer, do you just have your hand wrapped around the can? And Homer goes, yeah, what about it? And I just always thought that was so funny. If you let go of the can, you're going to be able to get out. There's a ungodly way to be rich. And it's the, I don't care what I lose. 
I don't care what it takes from me. I don't care who gets thrown under the bus. I'm gonna hold on to this ability to be wealthy. I'm gonna hold on to this job. I'm gonna hold on to this money. I'm gonna hold on to these situations and circumstances regardless of what happens to me, regardless of what happens to other people. That there's a real ungodly way to be wealthy. And you start to see it a little bit in Lot, that Lot's willing to tear the family apart to get money to hold on to possessions. But what we're gonna see in this chapter is there's a really godly way to be wealthy too, and that's Abraham. And again, it's not wrong to want money, but when money becomes your master and it becomes the end goal and it becomes the end desire, all of a sudden you start to see the servant has become the master and bad things happen. And so verse eight, then Abram said to Lot, let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. He says, hey, we can't keep doing this. This thing that we're engaging in can't keep happening. We're constantly arguing. We're constantly in strife. We're constantly having issues. We need to find a way to have peace. You know, Jesus says that there's a a blessedness in being a peacemaker, someone that goes out and pursues being someone who brings peace to their neighborhood and to their home and into their job site, that we're supposed to be peacemakers, that we're supposed to be people who are seeking to take situations that are quarrelsome and are frustrating and are difficult and to figure it out. That when someone is having an issue with you, you're supposed to go and, and address them. Hey, can you forgive me? Hey, can we figure this out? Hey, can we move forward? We cannot keep doing this. And so Abraham, he diffuses the situation before he, gets, before he gets crazy out of hand. And it's actually insane because Abraham is in this patriarchal society that you and I are really removed from where he's the law. Everything that he says goes. He is the king over his dominion and that this lesser dude is causing problems at all. He could just be like, hey, you need to leave. Hey, you need to knock it off. Hey, you need to fire all of these guys that are being problems. But instead, Abraham says, hey, you and I need to figure this out. He doesn't approach him in a, do you understand who you've wronged? Do you know who I am kind of mentality? Instead, he says, hey, we need to figure this out. We're family. We're bigger than this. We're not gonna allow possessions and we're not gonna allow material items to dictate how we do life together. Do you know that that's the mandate for you and for me? That 1 Corinthians chapter six tells, tells you and I, Paul is addressing lawsuits in the church. They're, you're, they're worried about losing possessions, losing money. And Paul says to them, why won't you suffer wrong? Why won't you allow yourself to be defrauded? The gospel has made you so wealthy. You guys are arguing over pennies right now. Don't you realize all that's been given over to you through the work of Jesus? But the default move for most of us is we're gonna sacrifice people in the pursuit of possessions. I just need to get a few more things. I just need to acquire a few more properties. I just need to have that. Once I have that thing, then I'll be happy and then we can figure out our relationship. Like one of my best friends growing up, his dad's family was destroyed because mom and dad died. They had three siblings and one of them I guess, I don't know how they decided, but he just decided mom and dad's house is my house. And that made things awkward forever. And now they don't talk. What a huge bummer. You lost a relationship with your siblings because of a property that's okay. 
you know? Like, if we're just being transparent, it's not all that great, and you've just ruined your entire family relationship for this place. What are we doing here? And so Abraham's getting ahead of that. We can't do that. We can't be quarreling people. We can't be angry at one another, at each other's throats over possessions. God's got so much more in store for you and me. We can't do it anymore. And so verse nine, is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zor. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So there's this man, I really like his books. His name's Robert Alter. And he's uh, someone who is, he's a Hebrew just genius and an expert on translating Hebrew text to English. And he's written a lot of books and commentaries and just taken different snippets from the Old Testament and just translating them and commentaring through it. And when he, what he writes about right here is the language of he looked up and saw that he, he lifted up his eyes and he looked. It's more than just, hey, he observed the land. Hey, he saw what was before him. It's actually giving you insight to his heart. That it's this metaphorical way of speaking. It's saying that something in his heart, something spiritual is going on. That it's more than just a way to get rich or more than just a way to make money, more than just this land is better. You're seeing insight into this man's heart. So when you and I say things like the main thing I want is to be financially stable or the main thing that I want is to be married or the main thing that I want is to be successful. The main thing that I want is to have a great career. This, this is the main thing. We, this is all that I'm looking for. This is all that I want. For Lot, all that I want is a way for my herdsmen and my crew to be successful so we can continue to build this business and become something in this place when we start to think that this is the main thing, this is all that I want, there's actually something way deeper going on in you and me. Something way deeper, something way more spiritual going on underneath the surface. So I, I did counseling today with a guy. And he was just saying that all he wants is to, be, to have his wife forgive him. And all he wants is to know that he's a good man. And so then I, we talked that through. Okay, well... What does that look like and what does that mean? And he goes, well, like, I'm a pretty good guy. I didn't do these things. I go, that's not the metric that you are weighed by. Like, it, that's what all people like to do is we like to look at other people and we like to say, okay, well, how am I being weighed? I'm not as bad as Hitler, so I must be somewhere on the good side of, like, the scales of life. And what's so funny about Jesus is he does the complete opposite, right? So Jesus shows up and he says, hey, it's great that you didn't. Um, murder anybody. And the person I was sitting with goes, yeah, man, I've never done that. Like he won the argument, you know? And I said, well, you know, Jesus says it's great that you didn't murder anybody. But every time that you've been angry with your brother and you've been wrong about it, you killed him in your heart. And it was just like, it was a bummer. It was like, oh, what a, what a weight kind of set in. And it said, hey, it's great you've never committed adultery. And it was like, well, yeah, yeah, I've never done that. Okay, well, Jesus says every time that you looked at someone else with lust in your heart, that in your heart, you've committed adultery. And well, that, that's, that's unintentional, it's involuntary. It doesn't matter. 
That's just, that's what it is. And so what Jesus is telling you is you're not a pretty good person. In fact, you're infinitely worse than you could ever imagine. That the scales of life put you so far down on one side that there's nothing that you could ever do to earn or make your way to forgiveness or to be made right or to fix yourself. Instead, you need something so substantial to happen. You need a savior. You need someone who can take all of your wrongs and pay for it. And so I, and he was having a hard time comprehending that. So I said, it's like this. If the city of Grants Pass sends me a bill for a hundred bucks and my dad, for some reason, goes down there and pays the hundred bucks and I show up and try to give them a hundred dollars, they might take it, but they should refuse it because they go, no, it's already been paid. The debt's already been paid, man. You don't have to worry about that anymore. When you're covered by Jesus, your debt is paid. And so this need that you have to be a good man, this need that you have to have forgiveness, it's something deeper going on because once you have your wife forgive you, you're still not gonna be fulfilled. You're still gonna be longing for something. You're still gonna be wanting something more. If the main thing is, I just wanna be financially stable and just have my finances all worked out, when you receive that, you're still gonna be unfulfilled. You're still gonna be wanting something more. You're still gonna be missing something. Because what Lot says here, what, what the Bible tells us, it's like the garden of the Lord. The place that he looked in verse 10, he's saying, there's watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord. What this text is telling you and me, the reason that there's a desperation in all of us to just get that main thing. If I could just have that, the financial security, the extra resources, the, the position, the accolade, the award, the recognition, if I could just get that thing, then I would mean something. Then I would matter. Then I know that I've, I, I've become something. I'm validated. See, Lot is saying, once I get that land, I'll know who I am. There's this desperation in all of us because the last time any human being knew their true value and knew who they were was in the Garden of Eden. That was the only time where people walked and talked with Lord, walked and talked with the Lord and knew who they were, what they were worth. And since then, it's been this desperate, I need to become something. I need to prove who I am. If I could just have her, if I could just have him, if I could just have that money, then I'd be complete. Then I would be happy. And Lot is just doing what we're all doing. Lot doesn't just want to get rich. He set his heart on riches. And so when you and I say things like, well, if I could just get married, then I'll be happy. Or if I could just get this finite thing, then I'll be happy. What you're doing is you're parking a three-ton truck on a one-ton bridge. You're putting a spiritual weight on a finite thing that will crush it, that will destroy it, that will let you down. And you'll go, it just doesn't work. And you, you see that most clearly with people who are quote unquote, most successful everywhere. Anyone who is super successful and also super depressed tells you, oh, it doesn't work. The thing that I think I need to have to be happy doesn't work, doesn't fulfill you, doesn't meet all the needs of the human soul. It will always let you down. We all have this. Lot wants the garden of the Lord without the Lord and you can't have it that way. That you'll always be seeking, you'll always be desperate, you'll never be contented or fulfilled unless you're pursuing Jesus. And Jesus is the, the top spot. Jesus is the one that you're seeking and wanting. And so Abraham, you can have whatever spot you want because that's not the end goal for me. The end goal is all the promises that Jesus has for me. All the promises that Yahweh has for me is how he would talk about God. And so verse 12, 
So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abraham settled in the land of Canaan while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. So money is a great servant. It's a terrible master. And what you see about Abraham, Abraham here is money does not have him. He knows that the land is better. He knows that the, the eastern side is, is better for watering. It looks great and all that. And he knows Lot is gonna choose that, but money doesn't have him. And so he says, you know what, Lot, you can have it. You know that money doesn't have him because he's generous. It's easy for him to be generous. It's easy for him to offer up the situation and say, hey, you can go ahead and choose it because it's not his main thing. You and I can easily tell if money has us by our ability or inability to be generous. How easy is it for you to help someone out? How easy is it for you to trust the Lord with your finances? Or is it a struggle? Is it difficult? Does money have a hold on you? Abe says, hey, you know what? You go ahead and take the best. I'll have the leftovers. I love you more than I love money. I love you more than I love my possessions. And so verse 14, the Lord said to Abraham, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I often think of the Lion King there. Look at all this land. It is yours. Verse 16, I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one could count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. What a promise that is. Arise, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abraham moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. So Abraham has three things and he can't keep all three. He can keep two of them. He has a relationship with Lot. He has a relationship with the Lord. And he has a dedication to money and financial growth. And so his relationship with Lot, he can keep that and he can keep his money if he says, hey, let's move out of Canaan together. We'll go find a spot that can sustain us all but it's gonna be forsaking the promise that God has for him. So that one's out. He has a relationship to the Lord. He could tell Lot, hey, you know what? I'm the big guy. You're the kid. I'm in charge here. I've raised you. I was feeding you the entire time we had no money in Egypt. You're gonna do what I say, and this is how things are gonna be. And what would happen is Lot would have been deeply alienated. He's a super ambitious guy. But instead, what Lot does is he says, you know what? I'll give up my dedication to money and financial gain. Lot, where do you want to go? Knowing exactly where he's going to choose, he's going to keep his relationship with God and his relationship with Lot, and he puts money on the very bottom rung. Abraham's ambition, Abraham's thing that he's pursuing is he's going to love God with all his 
heart, soul, mind, and strength. He's gonna love his neighbor as himself and he's gonna lose money. And really that's the order, right? So if you're having marital problems or you're having problems at work or you're having problems with family or you're having problems with any other area in your life, oftentimes you need to do exactly what Abraham does right here where you say, okay, I'm gonna go back to the beginning when I most felt the Lord. When I was at that altar that I built, when I cried out to him, I'm gonna go to that spot because that's the relationship I need to pursue first. That's the one I need to put above all other things. I'm gonna love God with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my mind and all of my strength. And I'm gonna really truly pursue him. After that, then comes people, then comes neighbor, then comes family, then comes spouse specifically. So you can even add another category. You could go God, spouse, everybody else, and then everything else. If you have your life organized in that order, I think you're going to see quarreling subside. You're gonna see anger dissipate. You're gonna start seeing longevity in relationships. You start seeing peace that passes understanding because the way that God wanted the world to be ordered is starting to fill itself out and walked out in your life. I mean, it's so funny when we pursue material things with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind and all of our strength, you can't take any of that stuff with you that it's so fully temporary and it so fully does not matter in the long scheme of things. But when you invest in people, God says, oh, that matters forever. That will last. That's gonna carry over into eternity. That one day the wind is going to whittle down all of the mountains and the earth is gonna become just completely flat and the sun is gonna go dim and the sun is gonna burn out. And when all of that happens, the person that you're sitting next to, the person that you're living next to, the person that you interact poorly with at work, that person will still be there. That person is eternal. That person will last more than your vehicle, more than your house, more than anything possession that you hold on to and say, oh, this thing is great. The person you're sitting to will still be there, will still last. And so for you and me this week, if there has been strife in your life, there's been difficult times, if there's been hardship in your marriage, I think what you and I need to do is reorder our lives, take a Take time and say, okay, what is the, am I pursuing the main thing? Because is there anything in my life where I say, if I could have that thing, then I would be fixed. Oh, everything would be worked out if I could just grab hold of that. Well, if I'm doing that, I'm misordered. Because once I have that thing, I'm still not gonna be fulfilled. Things aren't gonna be working out. I need to pursue Jesus with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, with all my strength. I need to go back to where I was when I started. Revelation, God talks to a church and says, you need to go back to your first love. You go back to where you were started. You need to pursue me like you did in the beginning. And once you do that, you'll find that you're able to love your spouse, you love your neighbor as yourself, love your enemies even, because everything else is gonna fall into place. As you see God's great love for you, his pursuit for you, the way that he's gonna take care of your life, you're gonna start being able to walk that out well with everyone else. So it's loving God, it's loving people, and then everything else falls into place. And so Jesus... Tonight, as we looked into Abraham's life, Lord, I pray that we would be people who really take stock of what matters. That it's not my position. It's not the amount of money that I have. It's not my possessions. 
but it's people. That you have called me to love people like you love them. And so Jesus, if there's areas in my life where I've started to walk away from you, become estranged, I pray that you will help me come back to my first love, that you'll restore in me the joy of my salvation for each and every one of us here. Jesus, thank you for the opportunity to get to be called your people and to pursue you in that way. Help us to love you first and foremost, and everything else falls into place. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys.